0: my creative life is a really significant, in many ways, my essential and primary relationship. And um, so I've loved listening. I actually go back and re-listen to many of your podcasts and was applying almost all the things that you were suggesting for one-on-one, human-to-human relationships back into the context of my own creative practice.
1: Welcome, everybody Welcome everybody to this episode of our relationship with our creative practice. Today's guest is Susan Patrice. Susan is a documentary photographer. She's an educator, a community arts organizer that uses her diverse talents to help nonprofit organizations around the globe, develop innovative projects and programs focused on personal and cultural transformation. And you can check out the show notes to learn more about Susan. And Susan was interested in talking about her primary relationship was to her creative practice, which is photography, and how many of the subjects that I've talked about in past podcasts, relational skills, relational thought processes, and the creativity of being in a relationship can apply to a creative practice. So she's going to talk about that. And we hear that term practice a lot. And you know, one definition, some people say that practice is a habit. It's a routine. Practice comes by practicing. It needs dedication and commitment, but also a practice makes us aware. It makes us conscious and present. And we can also do things not just of habit, but rather out of heart with meaning and intention. And then creativity, a lot of people get frozen with the word creativity because there's this myth that only special and talented people are creative, you know, that can be centered around like art or music and writing. But creativity, it's the process of bringing something new into being and it can require a passion and a commitment. And I believe we are all creators. We are all powerful in that way. Everyone can allow themselves to have imagination, inhibitions, freedom to see and do things in a different and authentic light. So I'm gonna just discuss a little bit that's somewhat different than what Susan is going to discuss. My creative practice is around relationships, like creativity as a relationship skill. There are many things that we can do in our relationship to transform and resolve issues that tap into a different mindset than rather being black and white, my way, your way. A creative mind, it has the different options. It has the third option, the fourth option, the seventh option, you know. Creativity is bringing in new ways of thinking so that you can actually bring and develop a relationship creativity practice. You know, studies show that creative people are better able to live with uncertainty because they can adapt their thinking to allow for the flow of, let's say, the unknown. It just helps you see things differently and better deal with uncertainty. So we know there's a lot of uncertainty at times in our relationships and relationship issues. And so I brought this up before in other podcasts. You know, a creative mind in a relationship, a practice can be looking at a situation that you had with somebody that you're in relationship with and that you go back and replay that scenario from the point of view that you want to behave, talk, talk, or think differently instead of replaying that same story you just experienced that you actually don't like. So a creative practice would be asking questions, how could I have done this differently with interest and curiosity? What ways could I have talked or behaved differently? That's the one use of visualization that can be creative in a relationship practice. One thing that you can do is you can also flip your assumptions. You can actually take your partner's point of view instead of always having your point of view. You can role play taking your partner's view and speaking to them from their viewpoint so that they feel understood and seen and you get an idea where they're coming from. Some of the creative practice that My wife Rainbow and I have done in the past is we like to do relationship vision boards. You know, we like to take cutouts and images from magazines and things, verbiage from books, and put a vision board of how we want to see and experience our relationship. And we keep that so that we can see it daily and we can dream it. We can vision ourselves being in that scenario that the vision board is showing. We also keep an ideal book, uh, make many lists of things that we could be, let's say creative or different in the way that we spend our time together. We have done a writing practice where we might use the subject as how do we want our relationship to be in five years or what is an ideal day in our relationship? and we each have written for 15 minutes. And then when we take our writings, our 15 minute writings, we have given it to the other person, we've switched. And then that person finishes off that story. So for example, when Rainbow has finished writing her vision of an ideal day, or what our relationship can look like in five years or so, then I take that story and I end up finishing it from my point of view. She takes my story and finishes it from her point of view. So we have this creative process where both of us are putting in our inputs and our dreams and our visions and our ideas. And of course, those of you know that appreciation is a huge practice of mine. So we have a heart share practice where one of us speaks for about 15, 20 minutes and exchanges appreciations. And then when that time is up, the other person speaks for 15 or 20 minutes only about appreciations to the other person. And that's a very creative process because we have to get artful and nuanced and details, but it's a practice, it's a commitment. We make it a process where it's also repetitive, but we also do it in creative settings. Sometimes we share it when we're out on a walk. Sometimes we do it in a car. Sometimes we just do it face-to-face with each other. Sometimes we exchange it through voicemail. And not just the compulsory one or two sentences. I'm talking about long deep, heartfelt appreciation. So appreciation practice is part of our creative relationship process. So I just wanna tell you a little bit about my creative process from a relationship standpoint and then we're gonna get on to Susan sharing hers to her creative process when it comes to photography. And before we get on with that segment, I want to just remind people that if you would like to ask a relationship question that may be answered on a future podcast, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, click on the podcast page, scroll down at the bottom, and you will see a button to click on to leave a voice message in a future podcast. I may address that and answer that question. And also those of you that are listening on Apple podcast, I would love if you would leave a written review of the podcast. That'd be greatly appreciated. Okay, everybody, here we go. Our relationship with our creative practice. Let's talk about it. Hey, Susan.
0: Hey, Prevail.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining today. And uh, this is cool because you've been a listener for, I mean, day one. You gave me this beautiful uh, response back on on day one that you enjoyed the podcast. And so it's wonderful. When we were talking in the past, uh, when I think it was Thanksgiving, when we had Thanksgiving over at the community at Earth Haven, we were talking about some subjects and I asked you to be on the podcast and you came up with a really cool, unique one, our relationship with our creative practice. So, what spurred that for you, and like what is what does that mean to you in your life right now?
0: Well, as you mentioned, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And what I noticed was when I was listening to your podcast and particularly how wonderfully broad you are when you talk about what relationship means, not just our relationship to a spouse or to a partner, but also how we move through the world in a relational way. I realized that as I was listening, I was interpreting almost everything you were saying back to my creative process, and it was helping me deepen my practice. It was helping expand the way I was moving in the world and how I was relating to people through my practice. It really helped me see that my creative life is a really significant, in many ways, my essential and primary relationship so I've loved listening. I actually go back and re-listen to many of your podcasts, and was applying almost all the things that you were suggesting for one-on-one, human-to-human relationships, back into the context of my own creative practice, which is photography, and um, it's a relational medium. At least I practice it that way. Hmm. That the camera is this sits in this liminal space between the self and the other. And that everything I do in that practice of being a documenter or a contemplative photographer is about finding ways to intimately connect with the subject. And so your podcast helped me mm. um, deepen in that intimate conversation, intimate dialogue that I have.
1: That's so cool that when certain things I say from a interrelational aspect that you take it to some aspect of your creative process with photography. Mm-hmm. How does that apply to my relationship with, with my creative process of photography or uh, practice. And I, right. I I love the word practice because, you know, even when I'm talking about the subject I am from a from a personal relationship standpoint of whether it's uh, a partnership or family, all of this is such a practice, you know, of giving it attention, some repetitiveness of it, what essence that I'm bringing to that day's focus of it, my intentionality. So, why do you think that it's a practice for you, the creative process?
0: Well, you know, even coming back to what you were just saying before about relationship, I think, it's, I think it's unique and rare actually that we enter into relationship with this idea of it as a practice. That I've often thought that the vows we make, say when we marry someone, that really should be a goal, an intention. But we mm-hmm. often say them as though they're already a reality. And I do think that also makes it hard for people when they're wanting to take on a creative practice. They might say, I'm going to become a painter. So in some way, they start to, I am a photographer. And so the I am-ness of that process actually becomes more important than the process itself. Mm. And so I think one of the things that helped me early on was this understanding that it is an unfolding relationship. And... The problem for me is I have a very, very strong and active imagination, and I love the work of James Hillman because he talks about the soul as being this faculty almost, this organ of perception that lies between spirit and matter. So what happens to me is I have these grand ideas about the next project I'm going to do, and it feels so whole and so perfect. And there's a little suffering that has to happen for me because Mm. it's never going to be that whole and that perfect. And so I have to be willing to let the idea suffer a little bit as it incarnates. And if I can come into this idea that this vision is the goal in a way, it's the end point, not the start point, Then I know that I've got this new thing. It's almost like a pregnant question that I get to sort of start to move and live into. Then curiosity comes in and then wonder comes in and then frustration comes in and Hmm. it allows me just a little bit more space to not be so hard on myself, but also hard on the process. And so I see a new project, my creative, it's almost like a muse that I allow it to have a life of its own, and I can actually move towards it with a questioning mind. And I can give you some examples of that later, of some projects that have unfolded in that kind of way where I actually had to surrender to the original idea and let it guide me towards what we, in some ways, it does feel like a partnership. Hmm. We're manifesting this thing together. And like, was it my idea? Where did the idea come from? And sometimes I just surrender to the fact that I'm being asked to grow in a kind, in a particular direction and that the idea comes from the future. And so uh-huh. it comes almost like a visitation asking me. So I get tricked into some next level of personal growth or next level of personal expansion because I followed an idea that felt like it was mine, that, that really once I get into it, I find out that I'm not... I've got a lot to learn. so.
1: And that's interesting that you said about um, the expectation that you have once it comes in, will it be what you want it to be? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like a big question that usually comes in when people enter a relationship too. You know, will this idea and this yearning, this desire of what I want it to be, will it be what I want it to be? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we forget to bring a creative process in this as opposed to an expectational process of what reality is for one person and so forth. And people with creative minds usually look for more solution. You know, that's one aspect. I'm assuming through that process that you were talking about, if one area or one idea doesn't go well, you look for number two, number three, number four ways of creating something in the natural process. And I like to... Call that process with people a kind of more transformational process than a sequential, let's say, resolutionary process mm-hmm. that people are wanting to resolve issues instead of transforming it. To me, one way to transform is to be really creative. You know, I tell people, you know, when you're doing something that's not getting you what you want, just do something different. But you got to be creative in what that is to bring right. something different. So I'm yeah. imagining that comes in your practice of trusting that you're going to be able to come up with something different in the flow of what you started with.
0: Yeah. And I think I, up until this last project, which was um, like one of the most profound examples of that for me, I think in the past it had been more like very similar to how dating would be. You know, you meet a person, you have an idea of who they're going to be. You run up against reality, you try to work it out, and then, you know, something, if you're lucky, sort of new emerges in that space. And so photography is very similar, you know, so for instance, I did a few years ago, a documentary on bush tracks. And so my mother was a racehorse trainer, and she died when I was young. And there was a part of her life that I was very curious about. And I don't think I was able to revisit her life until until this, at this exact time and so i got really fascinated with going back to bush tracks and what's bush track track is so fascinating so in quarter horse racing before horse makes it to the track you want to find out before you get there whether this animal is gonna be good (laughs) you know gonna be win you Mm. know and so a bush track is like a back roads horse racing Wow, And you show up and because it's quarter horses, they run a flat quarter mile straight. So you pull up and there's this empty field and there's no one there because I go really early to get the front end of the day. And within an hour, horse trailers have filled the field. Tractors come through and plowed. People are picking up rocks. Rope fencing goes up. And then horse trailers just full. And the day begins.
1: street drag racing. Yes.
0: But just so. (laughs) And bush track racing is, I don't know if it happens in other places besides the South. But I, Hmm. I photograph it as one of the Southern traditions that I grew up with. So... I've got this idea, right? It's going to be a story about this, and I'm going to photograph this. And, you know, so the whole thing you sort of have this idea about, but you don't know. And I think that's the beauty is so I show up and I picked that day, you know, feels like any random day that I decided to go to that track. And it turns out, by some strange coincidence, that I run into someone who actually had known my mother. She only Mm -hmm. trained for like six years. So there's this interesting story that I want to tell, right, about her life and about the life there. And when I actually got there, it was a different culture than the one that I had grown up in. And I could have made a decision at that moment. I found somebody. They knew my mother. It's I can go now, whatever. Or am I interested enough in what's unfolding here right now that I stay? And the staying means... I'm going to have to let go of this whole preconceived idea I had about what this is going to be to actually really connect and relate to the people. So there is a kind of grief in it. There's a letting go.
2: Hmm.
0: And there's a whole, then if I can step into that place and maybe I'm not interested enough, I leave. And there's that's happened too. I had an idea I was pretty attached to the idea. It didn't happen. I thought, well, I'm not really that interested in what's here. But in this case, I was really interested in what was there. And it meant that I had to relearn and be curious and open to what was really happening. And what started happening in me is I was in a very different place, and not to make it too complicated, but horse racing isn't necessarily the most humane sport in the world. Hmm. I went there to tell a human story and I was actually there as a very different person and I had to wrestle then with this very perfect story I had about my mother and her courage as a racehorse trainer to actually look at the industry and the work that she was really doing and so th- there's just churn, right? Lots of going on, lots of co- internal conflict. But I was curious enough to wonder if something was going to emerge there for me in that process. And what emerged, which often emerges for me, is that if I stay long enough, the love, regardless of how complicated the relationship is, and I can have judgment about some parts of it, what I almost always find in those areas is where there is tenderness and where there is compassion. And so what eventually emerges is even in light of the judgment that we can have about the nature of that industry, let's say, that there was this genuine, beautiful, resonant affection, not only between the owners of the horses and the horses, but between the people. And there was a whole culture there that wasn't mine anymore, but that was so worthy of my attention and respect, Hmm. but not in a naive way. There's still problems, right? And so it was... It wasn't even in the end about the fact that I could photograph these horses. At the end, it was about a muscle that I was able to build in my life around things are complicated and things are hard, and there are things I'm not going to like and things that I'm going to love. And I can either or this situation, and I think about it in this way of like, I reject this, I accept this. But something was moving in me that was like, even in the midst of things that I don't agree with or don't like... Can I be attuned to and attentive to the values that are important to me, even in this thing that looks opposite of those values? And so it, it was a training, actually, in holding complexity. Mm.
1: Everything that you're saying, I'm, it was interesting how you said that through some of my podcasts and the issues I talk about. You look through the lens of creativity, and I'm taking your creativity and looking through, of course, the lens of relationship and thinking, I would imagine that your experience from that carries over to any kind of relationship that you may be in, friendship, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And just the realization of this is complex. You had that experience with your creativity and your photography in that instance of realizing the complexity of that situation, holding all kinds of dimensions and experiences can we do that and how do we do that in relationships? So do you ask that question to yourself sometimes of wow, I had this experience in my creative process of holding complexity, how is this also showing up in my relationship as a um, hologram in other aspects of my life?
0: Absolutely, I think that what was interesting to me later is to realize that it is my medium, so it's my area of motivation. So I think I have friends at their area their medium is their person to person relationship and everything they learn there informs the rest of their life it actually works backwards for me from mm. there that my my relationship to creativity is my primary relationship but it's just it's where I get motivated it's where my curiosity is and then Every time I come off of a project, all of my relationships radically change. my mm. I, I mean, I'm using this term in two ways, but my, how should we call it, uh, the person-to-person. <laughs> I love that you expand the definition of relationship. That was the thing that really touched mm. my heart when I listened to the podcast, because sometimes folks like me who don't come into the world with partnership fantasies or aren't really drawn. I mean, I have been married twice, so it's not that I don't partner, but it's it's not never been like the shoe that fit. Mm. And so listening to your podcast was really touching to me because I felt like you broke it open enough where you're just like neighbors, friends, <laughs> creativity. Like I felt like it made space mm. for me. That, so even when you're talking about person to person, thing there was a way that i knew that you defined relationship in a broader sense so i felt like there was space for me so i could step into that conversation and be like i know he's talking about this specific thing but i also know that you hold relationship as something broader so it made space right i even have fantasies of
1: going off with other aspects of how we relate i played baseball uh, all my life in college i i want to I would like to have a conversation with, let's say, a catcher to talk about the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher. Yes. That's so intricate, you know, to be able to trust each other, who's in control, who calls the signs and the shots, and when the stress level goes up, who's able to bring each other, all that stuff. The
0: dance is so gorgeous, isn't it? So it's basically
1: how we walk in the world and relate to all these various Mm -hmm. stimulus or engagements that we have, even though... My bread and butter is in the interpersonal relationship aspect. It can broaden out. My right. son, I know that he talked about, yeah, Dad, you know, you should do one on our relationship with clothes, like yes. how how we feel comfortable in certain yes. fabrics or clothes. We have a relationship with it, yeah. And we can always take those metaphors across the board because mm-hmm. it's us that is relating to everything. Yes. In that realm.
0: Yeah. So one of the most remarkable experiences that I had um, happened most recently. I had been going to the forest every day, as not involving photography at all. I'd actually gone there to heal. I had um, sort of burnt out on my work, and the only place that it felt like I could be at peace and at home was in the forest. So I was working with Dr. Warren Grossman, who wrote a book, To Be Healed by the Earth, and so I was using these really wonderful practices, and they were much more, for me, almost like gestural prayers— You would go into the woods and you would do these exercises, and many of them were just about grounding and getting back in your body and getting reconnected. So I hadn't actually contemplated including photography in the process, but I noticed as I was listening to his exercises and also listening to other contemplative practitioners, how much what they were talking about as a contemplative practice was actually really similar already to the work that I was doing with photography And so one of the things I wondered was, could this process be amplified? Could it be changed by introducing photography into the process? So what I did was I committed to going to the same two square miles of forest every day for a year. And I was going to see what was going to emerge, like what would unfold. So I I had decided to use this space as a kind of experiment, as a kind of exploration. So the day looked pretty similar. I would wait towards the end of the day each day and I would drive out to the forest and I would just sort of randomly pick a podcast to listen to. So at first it felt random, but then I would notice as I was going that the podcast that I chose would often be an important lesson for me on the way. So on that day, on this particular day, I was listening to the poet and um, philosopher John O'Donohue. And I could tell in the way that he was talking that he had a completely different relationship to the natural world than I did. There were similarities, right? We loved it. We were in it. But there was something deeper, something richer. So as I'm listening to him talk, he gets to this place and he said, In order to have this experience, you have to move out into the natural world To have this experience, you need to understand that the natural world is more alive than you and I, but in a totally different form. And I was just wondering like, what is it about his way of apprehending the world that allows him to see it in this way that I'm not seeing it? Like, what is he doing? So his advice was to move forward with this open curiosity And he described a kind of process of engagement. And I thought, that's photography. Like that, that I recognize. I know that. So I pivoted and decided to use his suggestion about how to engage the world. So the camera was there, and I was there, and I would do these gestural prayers, and I would move out into the world, and I was just taking pictures. And there was a way now that I look back on that experience that I can contrast it And say, I'm on the outside, and I'm just standing there, and I'm looking at the natural world, and I'm taking pictures. And it's an object to me, a beautiful object. I love it. But I'm still outside looking in. So a couple of days later, back out to the forest, same practice every day, and I'm listening to a podcast with Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is this amazing indigenous woman who um, wrote a book called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is this incredible story of her relationship to the natural world. And in this thing, she talks about teaching her students, and then somewhere in the process of teaching her students, she always asks them the question, does the earth love you back? Mm. And there was just something about that question. And then she went on to say that she asked that question because she wants to change the way people understand the living world. To think about the earth loving us back is to assign the world, to assign the beautiful natural world, some level of consciousness, right? Mm, some mm. level of agency. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, that's when I realized I was pointing at the world, but I wasn't with it. There's like a withness that I was missing. It was me over here, it over there. So I wondered like what what was in the way. So it's sort of a similar question to John O'Donohue. What is it that she's experiencing that I'm not experiencing? So on that day, it changed. Instead of me being kind of walking through it, there was this other kind of like humility and openness. And the prayer was like a genuine prayer of How, how would you have me see you? How would you, you know, so I, the conversation actually Mm. started, right? So Mm. now we're in a conversation. Who are you? What, what, what do you want? (laughs) What's possible here between us?
1: How do we dance?
0: How do we dance? Right. So it's similar, right? Mm. When we're in relationship to someone, eventually they break through, (laughs) they become full and embodied. Right. So now this natural space is alive to me. And then I thought, could we collaborate? If you're alive and I'm alive and we have this space between us and the camera is going to record this liminal exchange, then how could we communicate? So I talked to some shaman friends and I asked them, like, how do you talk to the world? And one of their pieces of advice was, you establish the language. It's like any prayer. You agree on the language. And I thought, it's photography, trees are alive, photosynthesis, there's light. And I just agreed that light, vision, something in that realm would be how we would communicate. And I just wondered, (laughs) waited. So in the midst of that, so fast forward a couple more days— I was in the woods and I was remembering this exercise that an herbalist had taught me about expanding peripheral vision. And you let your eyesight loosen and loosen and you follow the outer periphery of what you can see and let it go. So what I noticed was as my vision started to relax, all of a sudden this feeling of belonging rushed over me. And I was like, whoa, what was that? And then it popped sort of back out. And then I'm back again. Everything's just where it's supposed to be, right? And then I start relaxing again, boop, back inside, and then out, and then in, and then out. And each time I was in, I felt at home. And Mm. each time I was out, I'm like, I'm separate. And I, and I hadn't known that I was separate until I had been inside, right? And so then I was just like that separating out was really quite painful, And I'd try to get back in. Slowly at this expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction, my eyes just like popped open. And then all of a sudden, I was standing in the center of this enveloping landscape. And there was this quality of radiance, this quality of connection that felt like love. And I feel funny calling it love because you're like, does the earth love me? But she knew what she meant when she said it, that my question was, what is love between me and the earth, me and this tree, me and this forest feel like. And what it felt like was this radiant, luminous quality of connection and belonging. It was just, it was it was subtle. And you know, it wasn't a big thing, but it was a subtle thing where where belonging was at the heart of it. So I decided at that point to build cameras that photographed around. Because it felt like it honored the relationship that, in some ways, this wide, peripheral, round vision was the answer I felt like I got. How do you want to be seen was the question, right? I want to be seen whole. I want to be seen round. So I started building cameras that photograph round. And then I would go into the woods, go through the same prayerful process. It took me a while. It didn't, wasn't like I stepped in there and everything was alive again. Same prayerful process each day. Sometimes it opened right up. I think it was based on the mood I was in or mm-hmm. the and some days it took hours. I just couldn't get there. And I would wait there would be no photographs made if I didn't get there. That was my agreement with the with the process. and And so then I would use the camera as a divining rod. And as soon as I felt connected, I let it just lead me through the woods, I would just wander and something would light up, Hmm. just beautifully light up. And then I would make photographs. And one of the remarkable things about the images is that most of the people that look at them will ask me if they're infrared. And I use the same film, the same cameras always have. And the quality of the light in this particular project on this film is unlike anything I had seen before. And so it feels to me, right that was was the earth moving towards me? It's hard to know. I mean, it's hard to say. But I do think that what I learned is that there is this wholeness that exists, and that it's it, it restored my faith in this really curious way. So your question about like, how does that impact your relationships in the world is it restored my faith in love mm. and love being light like it's hard to make the jump sometimes Mm -hmm. but there was some really deep faith i have now as i move out into the world that that relationship is possible and by relationship i mean opening up to the space that includes both in a radiant way that feels like love to me in this case it was expressed in light but i feel like now i feel like I'm open now, so it's not going to be light, maybe between you and me, Mm. or it's not going to be. But there's some space now that I believe I can step into. That is a space that love, in whatever form it chooses, right, can emerge, and um, it shifted everything. Wow! Yeah, it's
1: a beautiful story. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's almost when I was just thinking about the the lens of what I like to use this foundation lens of appreciation when mm. when I'm in that lens of appreciation the person really hasn't done or, or said something they might at that moment but if I if I can project that aspect of appreciation of either how I'm feeling about the world or see the lens of them in that light mm-hmm. they freaking light up you know in, in that way but it comes from me being in the lens of of appreciation, because as I said before, we get to choose what kind of focus that we're putting on, wherever we focus expands. And Mm -hmm. so the expansion of intention of how I want to view a relationship or how I want to feel about a relationship, I do have that tool Mm -hmm. to do that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was a long story to come back to your question, which was like, how does that process impact? It changed everything. It changed how I, very much along those lines of like, how do I bring my own, the lens of appreciation to me would be similar to saying you put the eyes in and the, the heart. heart. yeah. You know, that the, how, how are you choosing to see? And so I can look at each of these projects, the, the bush track and then going back further and further, but as I line those projects up, I can actually look at the trajectory of those. And say, each one of those was teaching me a little bit more about love. Mm. Each one was like, can you love in complexity? And in some ways, there was a way, can you love in simplicity? Mm. There's this thing that's not complicated, it's not dramatic. It's, and something about being able to get into, like really feel into the subtlety of how quiet... That place was and how subtle and the attunement that I had to get to. A healing, I don't like to frame things in like a broken, now I'm fixed kind of thing, but but healing is probably the closest word I can find that there was some kind of homecoming back into my own body. So there was, by asking the question of how does nature want to be seen and related to, there was some wholeness that was required in a way, but not like I'm broken now, I have to fix it, but more like I'm drawn and in in that longing and in that, that that the longing and belonging belong together in a way,
2: Hmm.
0: and that the medium allows me to move. And so now I feel like in my relationships have been more chaotic or more dramatic that I feel like now I'm tuned into not so much what's happening on the surface of the relationship sometimes, but more this quality, this energetic quality that is sort of the um, foundation almost. Hmm. And that that sometimes I feel like I'm getting along, but I can notice that the subtle energy you know, is not, it's not cohesive. Like mm. I, the, the words are hard to find. And that I can I can then attend to those incongruities on a subtle level without the sort of details. <laughs> the details are starting to matter less and less. But it can make it hard to negotiate because some ways you can't say to somebody, yeah, I hear all that. And energetically, I just don't feel okay. an alignment here. You mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. a hard thing to say.
1: And we were talking about earlier in our discussion about your relationship with your creative process. In some way, I don't. I don't want to. I don't mm-hmm. know if you said this, but in some way, is a primary relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, a a relationship with another individual, you call it almost. Are they willing to have a polyamorous relationship because you're, you're with right. you? In my creative, creative life, <laughs> pro, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think it's partly because you know, probably one of the areas that can be most difficult is. One of the things that this particular creative process that I've been involved in for many years that manifests in a very specific kind of way, I think different people have very different creative processes. What it has taught me is this kind of open focus and a kind of flexibility in movement. And That's really easy when you're in the forest and you think, oh, I got it all wrong, I'm gonna build a round camera now. Hmm. If you've constructed a life with another person and you suddenly say, I'm gonna take our square life and I'm gonna make it round, and everything's gonna have to, the whole perspective of everything has now changed, it's Hmm. all round now. Hmm. And they're like, oh no, I'm digging my square life a whole lot. Right. You know, it's more complicated to work out. And I don't want to, you know, I think there's a danger in saying like, oh, my creative process is my spiritual process. Because that starts to get a little too Mm self-focused for me. Mm -hmm. I think the reason I chose photography is because it is a process. Everything I do in creating requires me to engage with the world. And one of the things I love, one of the definitions of contemplative practice is a long loving look at reality. Mm. And that reality piece really matters to me. And for some people, maybe it doesn't as much. Yeah. But for me, there's something about this bridge between self and other or spirit and matter, these these tensions that exist that photography for me allows me to be right in that middle place between the two it's a magical magical medium
1: well it's so nice that thought again with relationships that when we allow ourselves to not be it's my way or your way Mm -hmm. or it's black and white but to hold the tolerance of both realities of what people are experiencing or what they want when we kind of just let, be able to hold that reality with curiosity. yeah. And the creative process to me also is in like the questions. Right. you said, you know, you ask these questions to be able to be in that environment in the form for it to unfold. I tell people great questions to ask yourself, what am I doing that's making it difficult to get what I want? What can I do to make it easier to get what I want? That opening up again of possibilities of a question Right. Uh, It brings a creative process in the aspect of the closeness of, again, on all or nothing, that this is the way it has to be or should be. And holding the tension, you know, in some way, the uncomfortableness.
0: We have a sort of bias against tension Tension, these days, I Mm -hmm. think. And I'm a huge fan of the work of Arnie and Amy Mandel, who do process work. And they really, their whole work is about getting to these edges. And I, I, I think the work that I did in the woods was very much influenced by them and their process of, you know, how they translate the world, everything into process, you mm. know, and that it was so refreshing to me. And I think I've shared this with you before, but one of the big turning points for me in creativity was um, reading Eric Fromm's book, To Have or To Be. And photography is fraught, right? With a lot of having. Mm. You're going to go out into the world. You're standing outside. You're going to take a picture and take and take and take. And there is a kind of distance between you and the subject. And, you know, I travel a lot and I'm currently working in Rwanda with doing some documentary and digital storytelling work with um, women that are genocide survivors in that country. And one of the things that's most difficult about my work is photographers that preceded me. The level of disrespect, the level of invasion, the level of entitlement Mm. to somebody's story and to somebody's life and to somebody's body in a way. And some of the things when we talk about relationship, one of the things that I'm really, really interested in hearing from you is that I feel like this new language around consent culture could be such an important learning piece for photographers and for other even writers who move into the world, that it's intimate to get somebody's story. Hmm. It's intimate to get somebody's. And how do we build this language and the subtlety of that realm that allow us to know when somebody's really in consent? You know, particularly when you're working with populations of people who haven't had as much power or have experienced oppression or, you know, I work in also in nonprofit development and communication. And one of the things is if you're, Going into a country where you're providing funding, we have to inspire our funders, right, back in the U.S. to want to give. And there's this crude term, and we call it poverty porn. Mm. And it's it's offensive, and it's damaging, because you're taking somebody who's been through a traumatic experience, in some ways, asking them to perform their trauma for you, so you can then go back and convince the world and sell it, really, Right. right? And so... That's an extreme version. But every time I enter into a creative exchange with someone, I have to be really aware of where their own boundaries are and how nervous. I mean, I'm always nervous being photographed.
1: Well, well, I I think it was interesting, you know, just a little story that you told me about, you know, we would connect here and there with seeing each other in the community or back and forth on an email once in a while. But then we actually had a... Intimate relationship through your photography. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you told me about a process that you would do of going into the natural world, but also maybe keeping somebody in light, Uh, maybe something that they were going through. And you would hold that space of whether it was healing. And in particular for me, you heard years ago that I was going through a a health focus, a a health issue, Mm -hmm. and you didn't know what it was. And you were holding that focus for me as you were being drawn to wherever that took you in, in photography. And it turned out that what you took, the beautiful image that I, I see of, of, a, of a tree with, with roots growing around a, a rock was in some manifestation form of my uh, healing issue that I had this blood tumor that was growing around my liver and so forth. And I, but I told you that afterwards, but you talked about a little bit of the consent of Mm -hmm. aspect of like, you're doing that like a little bit without my permission, but doing it. And to me, after you asked if I was willing to, to see the photographs and I didn't feel invaded at all. I felt like honored, cared for, trusted. And, there we go, it's, it's <laughs> sit, sitting over there, you know? Yeah. And I just think that that's your process was also a beautiful process for us to have this relationship that we really didn't speak of, but it was in another realm right. of you connecting with me. And now I have the product in some way of that that I get to look at, make my own meaning right. of it. But I know that Susan took this. So it's not just something that is just generic to me. There's a relationship right now right. that I have with it. So to me, that was just a really a cool manifestation of a spontaneous and creative and almost like magical process of our connection through your, through your medium of your practice. I just really love having this round photo in my podcast studio. You know, as I look at it, it's just very harmonious and pleasant to look at the complexity of the roots of the tree growing around the large rock it's a beautiful reflection of what is going on physically in my body and looking at this photo kind of gives me a sense of peace and acceptance of what is actually going on in my body. Almost a new creative way to accept what's inside of me.
0: Oh, thank you for saying so. I know I felt some shyness about it. And part of what would happen, you know, after I had had that experience, my question was first, If I've experienced this profound healing in this place, do the photographs themselves hold some of that love? Like, is it in the images? And so one of the things I did out of curiosity is I went to all of these different people who were plant people and healers, and and I would... the photographs out and just ask them to tell me how they felt about them or what they responded to and the plant spirit people were the most fascinated because they were like do you see this do you see this (laughs) like they could see see their seeing right their seeing was so far even further developed you know Mm. their eyes and their heart and their connection to nature was like they were seeing all kinds of stuff that i wasn't but they said that showed me that the medium has also its own rightful place Mm. it captured things that i wasn't you know like i wasn't even developed enough in my seeing to see but they could see it right and so i wondered about that even though i didn't feel like i was a healer my question about that would be if i could hold somebody an intention for someone in my heart if the camera had its own magic and the woods had its own magic, that the healing probably wasn't dependent on my level of uh. growth. And that was the curious question was, would it would it be experienced as healing? But I had listened to this other podcast that someone was talking about prayer, how invasive prayer can be mm. without permission. And so I got shy about it because I thought, yeah, that is a little... So anyway, I appreciate that you received it as. N- as I, um, I,
1: anybody yeah. out there that want, wants to pray for me, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about it. You know, some yeah. good prayers out there. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: So, yeah. So I'm curious to ask you, because I'm curious about this question is it, as it's unfolding, particularly around the Me Too movement and particularly as we're starting to relook at the nature of relationships, um, particularly heterosexual relationships between men and women, where there have been power imbalances and we're trying to just we're trying to clean that up, right? We're mm. trying to to get some more understanding. Is there anything that you've learned in those processes about about consent and about awareness in that realm that you think could be helpful to me in terms of how I could teach other photographers because I am a teacher as well about this importance? What do you look for? What do you tell other people to look for?
1: Mm. Your friend Lee and I—we had way back—we uh, had a podcast on on consent, and it was really interesting that the places that that we went on it. I think that what what I look for in in relationships again is um, holding the other person's experience in reality just as respectful as is our, our own. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is uncomfortable to do whatever it is, whether it's you know being touched, whether it's going to a movie, whatever it is that we have to really sense, the watching of our own desire being pushed on Mm. the other person's boundary in some way, or even if they're unsure of their knowing. So to me, the checking in and the respect of, well, you're uncomfortable with what I just said or what I proposed or my question, can I sit with that instead of watching my own need, desire, preference, being to sway you into a different mm-hmm. reality, my desire, my reality. So I think there's a subtle process that people have to watch in that of, you know, are we perpetuating that old, I don't know what's in the movies and so forth about when there's a no and, and the person pushes through the kiss and then there's this romantic kiss and right. you think like, Oh, that's how it's supposed to be. You, you push through a no. So the person right. says, a yes, that's bullshit, you know? and, it's being able to really respect and the slowness of people needing to feel out the Mm -hmm. prospect of safety and trust and comfortability. So I think constantly inquiring, asking people questions about comfortability, what do they need, what are they aware of right now? Mm -hmm. um, And not to get to a certain, again, agenda, as opposed to like an unfolding experience, as opposed to what we think that we want to do or to experience as our own agenda. And that's a different, whole different mindset of being able to hold different experiences in respect.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. The way I translate that is that, you know, creativity has this too, where there's this idea of follow your bliss. Like it's all very supposed to be passion driven, right? And with passion comes a lot of projection. Your desire becomes the the paramount thing that we're supposed to follow. But I don't think we do. I don't think we take a deep enough approach or deep enough analysis of what we can mean by that. Mm -hmm. And I do think that has been dangerous and hurtful in many ways in romantic relationships. I think it's equally as difficult in a creative relationship. Yeah where we, there isn't enough space, right, yeah, to right. let something genuine unfold and what feels sad about it to me is that having been in in a relationship with someone who for reasons that I completely understand had a lot of their own fear and lived a life of a lot of projecting and mostly was shocked to learn that they had violated boundaries. Because of, you know, like the desire just overrode all other subtle signals. And the sad part about that is, and yes, I don't want to downplay the fact that there's real trauma that can come from those kinds of interactions. So I'm t- speaking more to the subtle part of it. Is that the thing that they really want, they're not going to get. Right. That's the sad part. Mm-hmm. Is that you're forcing this thing to happen because you're really longing Right inside i 'm guessing I just don 't think that people are oriented towards selfishness and aggression, like I just don 't think the worst of people in that way. What I think is that there 's misguided attempts and strategies for getting what I would hope is this very core need to feel like you belong right right
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and the strategy just is sad yeah. because in a way, and i I see that with photography in the same way. What you want is to feel like you've made this connection.
1: Yeah, even if it's a, you know, I think of like a sneaky way, right? Like if a picture's taken on the side with that person not looking, there's a sneakiness to that, wanting to capture a certain connection as it is perhaps somebody whose partner is sleeping and they're right. starting to touch them in order to get a connection, but that's a sneaky way sneaky. to achieve what it is right. that they want in connection. They're not ultimately gonna get it because there's not gonna be that trust right. there. Right. So I think one is also watching, do we think that we're able to get what we want by it being straight out in front of us with consent, with saying right. what we want, what we need to see if it matches the other person or the objects desire to be also wanting to be connected or captured in some way so to put it in front of us instead of in some way a a sneaky sideways uh way to get what it is that we think that we need
0: and consent is so scary like it's really like when i've when i've listened to that conversation with you and lee and i think about it and often people say well now you've taken all the the juice out of of romance right and it's like oh if if Romance feels frivolous right. in comparison to this straight, sober, direct. I'm going to really be here and yeah, I'm going to hear right. back yeah. Yeah. that what I want isn't, you know, like you can't give that to me. Like yeah. it's, and like we were saying about the tension in the space of that tension, though, is this capacity for something to arise mm-hmm. that's so much more. than that thing you would have gotten if they would have just given it to you, right? And, you know, I think what happens often is with photography, I actually think that the photographers from a distance, they might actually get a technically beautiful photograph. Like it's not really even a comment on the photograph. One of the things my mentor who later became my partner, Jack Lee, one of the things that he used to love to say is, the greatest thing we create as a photographer is the photographer. Mm. That this practice is really about our own becoming. And then you think, well, then why have photographs just go do a spiritual practice? Because the photographs become this mirror themselves. You actually get to see your own progress towards beauty. Because mm. beauty and love are kind of the same, really. They're a kind of resonant wholeness, luminosity we can talk about. So when the photograph becomes this beautiful way that your capacity to love is reflected back to you. So if I didn't, if I were just practicing, I'm kind of on my own. I I can get a little delusional about that. But photography, because I have to engage the world, I can look at these photographs and be like, yeah, you missed it. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't really, you thought you were there, you weren't really there, because they don't lie. I mean, they can lie, of
1: course, but. So that's the part of, in a a personal relationship of us really being there. That that aspect of us having to have intimacy within ourselves first, to be able to connect and have intimacy with somebody else, which means our own vulnerability, our own self-disclosure, our own self confronting mm-hmm. to be able to do that and then do that in front of another person. Right. And I think that most of us are waiting to get it by the other person right. instead of first within ourselves. Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah.
1: Wow. This has been really, really a cool way of looking at the creative practice with aspects of relationship and aspects of a creative practice within a medium like your passion of photography? And we didn't use that word before, but passion. Is that a apropos word at all? Because like, I have this passion around, you know, when I think about what my passion in life is, it's relationships in many yeah. ways, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, Early I felt like it was kind of more passion. And then I think once the practice piece got in there, like I struggled with it. It wasn't all magic for me. Um, you know, I've had some broken up with it a couple of times. <laughs> I became a spoken word yeah. poet for about 20 minutes and mm. a few years, actually. And I've and so, mm. but it's really fascinating because I was doing this exercise it's it's i think it's rooted in some it's some of the work with Steiner but you look at seven year processes and you put your life on this curve and you're supposed to put down these really significant moments and and of course your childhood and your relationships and you know there's all that stuff but i noticed that when i did the curve i would put those things but i would think like where was photography in that moment hmm. like most everything got filtered through the before and after or, so yeah, I mean, passion, I love it, Hmm. you know? So I think there's passion where, you you know, when you first, you're you're like have an in love kind of thing. Hmm. But now I feel like it's developed into, and that's why when I listen to your podcast, that there's a way that those deep, that deep relational work, like I feel like I've moved into this space where I'm now in this deepening relationship where, it's not just coming so easy, like I have to really engage my whole self. Mm. Um, and that's uh, that's exciting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. Because this is now, the podcast is becoming in some way a little bit of my creative process of very different than the work that I do of what do I want to speak, how I want to come across, what aspects of interrelating with the person that I have on the show or myself, when I'm in the room by myself. You know, what relationship am I having with these ambiguous listeners out there that mm-hmm. I don't know who's listening, how many, and so forth. And so it's been an interesting part of how I'm starting to mm, see myself differently also in the world to be able to also have this kind of creative process in a relationship practice too. So,
0: Can you say a little more about the difference in how you're seeing yourself in the world?
1: Um, well, there's a part of me that feels like, hmm, you know, I got shit now I wanna say. And I have a medium that I'm able to do that. But also the ways and the formulation that I see the work of a relationship, uh, my own experience with storytelling of my own life. So sometimes uh, I might have a challenging experience with somebody, but also I say, oh shit, that's a great fucking story for, right? for the podcast. <laughs> so I get to really turn it around in some way and, utilize it in a creative process that I hope is going to be beneficial for also other people. And at the same time, the vulnerability of being open in self-disclosure. So it's an interesting walk of self-disclosure creativity. And so I get to, if I see the lens of my day a little bit of, oh, I get to, I, I have material for this creative process yes. every day.
0: So. And, and you know, that's the thing that I can feel sad for when somebody doesn't have that. Like I do think the worst, and I'm talking about worst shit that's happened to me, there's gonna be some point in there, sometimes it takes a while to get there, that there is what I call this redemptive moment mm. where I understand how it's gonna impact this other thing I love. Right. Yeah. And I know people who are writers are just like, oh, that's gonna be a great story later. But there's there is that thing that and I've lost it a few times where suddenly I can't make meaning and that somehow or another the simple thing, it's not a big thing, it's yeah. photography, it's not, you know, mm. but it's a lens, like you say, of that I can continually to shape and make meaning through and it's this Thing that's been with me and I envy right you've had this beautiful long relationship and so mm. you have this continuum yeah. of this relationship and you get to see your changing self within the context of this yeah. you know, long beautiful thing yeah. and photography interestingly enough is the one consistent long-term we went through some rough patches <laughs> but I have that same experience where I can take the worst and most difficult moments and think, oh, I could translate this now. And I'm also a teacher. And it's interesting because there are people, I think, that practice craft because they want to be a famous painter or they Mm. want their work. I think the teaching part really helps because... Each experience I'm having, I'm also translating that into how I can share that.
1: Right. That's part of my process, too, yeah. I think, is, is, is sharing that. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. It really, it helps hold. And I do know people that don't have those containers. Right. And I think it's brave. Yeah. Because I don't, um, I need it. Yeah. Like, it's not a wanted. <laughs> it's a, I need that container because I can, I can get into despair and life can feel hard and mm. I like that I always have a way that I can translate it into something usable, Mm. yeah.
1: Well, thanks for coming today and sharing this part of your creative process and your relationship to it and bringing a whole different perspective to look at in people's lives, because I'm sure they'll be able to relate to other aspects that they have in whatever creative process they have and how that relates also to how they walk and relate in the world. So yeah. thanks for sharing this with of course, me. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Thank you. Yeah, we'll do it again. Okay. All mm-hmm.
0: Relationships, Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor, Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, let's talk about it, is produced by OxBus. You can create your own professional podcast today, faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Auxbus.